0: My guest on this edition of the Music Meets podcast with me, Magica. Nico Muley, composer, arranger, conductor, and all-round wunderkind of contemporary music. Born in 1981 in Vermont, Nico was raised in Providence, Rhode Island. As a child, he sang in the choir at the local Episcopal church and started to study piano age 10. Since graduating from the Juilliard School, he's mainly based in New York, although he's always on the move. And I've managed to catch him here in my hometown of Paris, where he's currently prepping a new dance piece at the Opera. Nico has composed a lot. A list that's so long, in fact, it could probably fill the podcast. So here's just a small taster. He's written for St. Paul's Cathedral and Carnegie Hall, composed choral music for the Talis Scholars and the Hilliard Ensemble, songs for Anne-Sophie von Otter and Yestin Davies, a viola concerto for Nadia Sirota. More about her very shortly. And in 2011, he premiered not one, but two operas, Two Boys at the ENO and Dark Sisters, a chamber opera. His next opera, Marnie, based on the novel which inspired the film, will premiere in the 2019 2020 season. So book your tickets now, or maybe just. Wait a couple of years, whichever suits you. He co-founded the Reykjavik-based label Bedroom Community with Valgir Sigurdsson and Ben Frost, and through it has released his own music, including albums Speaks Volumes and Mother Tongue. Nico has scored ballets for choreographer Benjamin Milpier and films including The Reader and Kill Your Darlings. He's also arranged tracks for Anthony and the Johnson's, Björk, Grizzly Bear, The National, Joanna Newsom and Usher. Yes, that Usher, on a track produced by Diplo. Yes, that Diplo. (laughs) pre beaver but still amazing. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you here. Let's dive straight in with your first choice. What have you selected? Um, This is a piece called China Gates by John Adams. Let's have a listen. So that was China Gates by John Adams, Uh, why did you pick this track in particular? I'm sort of obsessed with with this piece of, of John's because sort of, it feels like a sort of seed for
1: a lot of his later work. And basically, it's it's a very simple series of processes, but for some reason it feels to me very emotional. So it's like you have these little areas of music, uh, these little sort of gardens of music where it's just one chord announced by a sort of low gong-like thing, and then two little patterns of overlapping hands. And it, again, it's, it's sort of the simplest thing in the world, but it sets up this emotional mm-hmm. landscape that feels really like delicious and beautiful, and, um, you know, it's four- half minutes long or whatever, mm. but, but somehow you, you've passed through all these different spaces.
0: It's funny you say it's the simplest thing in the world, because for me, I'm a big fan of minimalism. I've already played uh, Steve Reich on the podcast. And for me, this is far too complex. Like, I I love it. It's great. But if I try to engage in it in the way I engage with that early Steve Mm. Reich stuff, it's always shifting. So it's kind of a frustrating experience because I'm hearing these resultant patterns, and then it shifts immediately.
1: immediately. Well, I think think the thing with Adam's, though, is it's like he's a generation, or two generations, younger than Reich and Glass and Riley, even by the 70s, right? There's a sense that, you know, he was able to dramatize it, like what had been, a, not, not, I don't want to say rigid or austere, but what had been, like, about a process, now becomes kind of, you know, he's like, I can make this last as long as I want. And there's, there's an element of kind of whim to it, I feel, that, mm. that I think, and you see that here, but then the piece that he writes after this was called Phrygian Gates, is crazy. It's this kind of romantic, symphonic, you know, thing. And, and you know, the, the interesting thing about early Adams is, you know, it's pointing back at Russian glass, it's also pointing farther back towards, like, Wagner, He loves these big gushing shaker loops, which is like this about repetition. But then you get you get into it, and you're like, this is like sexy time
0: yeah. <laughs> this is about it, it's true I, I think I've written down here uh, mathematical processes versus overall emotional effect mm, and yeah. here we can really feel that, feel that Adams is interested in how it makes the listener feel I just remember when I was studying music a composer came to give us a kind of special lecture about these kind of processes it was about you know 12 tone music and how he would take a melody and then invert it and put it in retrograde and mm. slow it down speed it up and at one point I just put my hand up and said why <laughs> <laughs> right well it's a good question right like and, and he couldn't answer his his answer was well um, I, I slowed it slowed it down and then sped it up and it was, right. yeah but that's what what you did but i'm interested in why why, why you did it right because surely music is meant to have some kind of effect on the listener. Um, And why I love minimalism is that it does have an effect. It has has an incredible effect. I've actually acted it out on a previous podcast, the phases you go through of thinking, oh, this is a bit repetitive and getting a bit bored, and then your brain kind of switches off and and it becomes like a trance. Oh,
1: and the same with it, right, even listening to, like, Morton Feldman, right, it knocks you right out. In a sense, it's like you feel your body reacting to it. I think, you know, which isn't to say, I mean, with with that process music, with the 12-tone process music, I always think about that stuff as sort of like experimental cooking where it's like I'm really glad that there are people doing the work of the research to figure out how Mm. to make like you know a pork chop taste, taste like pine needles or whatever that's great and I'm really glad they exist and I'm also glad that I don't have to do it yeah or eat it. <laughs> I, I,
0: I think that's a really interesting way to think about it. And that actually helps me. Because, like, you're right. They have their place and they're doing their thing. Yeah. It's just that I don't, well, don't want to eat it.
1: Yeah, well, I think to a certain extent it's like that you write a series of notes and you flip them around and, and do all these processes. In a way, it's a way to not, not just fill time, but it's a way to get yourself out of a hole compositionally. Mm. And I think it was a way to get a sort of generation of people out of a whole composition Yes,
0: but if there's no kind of thought about what emotion it's going to stir Mm. in the listener in the end Mm, result.
1: Oh, but that had been said, I mean, what's interesting about it is that I I feel like the sort of grandpa of people who are still alive is Boulez. And for me, I find Boulez incredibly moving because it sounds so decadent, right? Because it's like the notes and it's like this so complicated, but the way he's orchestrated it is you know it's like steel pants and harps and marimbas it's just like gay yeah i mean it sounds like a big old gay thing and then you know you read what he says about it and it's like it's like super super dry and super severe like no it's not yeah like queen please like yeah. i can hear it like i'm looking at it now look at all those harps like i'm seeing them here so i feel like one of the things that you should never do is listen to the way people talk about their music because i think like, it's almost always going to be not a lie but some kind of which again it's like when you hear boulez say oh this is maximum complexity i'm like no yeah, like maybe, like maybe that's in there, but it, it just feels like you're just throwing butter at me
0: mm. in a good way, you know. <laughs> but Not may- at it. <laughs> maybe us musicians are actually the worst people to talk about our music anyway. That's yeah. why it's always a really good idea to hire a really good PR to write your press release, right? Because you have no idea really what you're doing. Yeah. Like you have and desires. If you, do, if you do
1: know what you're doing, you're probably doing the thing wrong. <laughs> if you take in for twenty minutes in your day to like put a name to what it is that you're doing, that's twenty minutes you could have been doing like learning Icelandic or something. Yeah.
0: Like, True. I was really fascinated in this piece by the final bar because it slows down, right? There's a writ. Right. And then the final notes are sustained. And that, for me, with my pretty hardcore minimalist ears right. on, was like, oh my goodness, what's happening here? Because I wanted it to stop dead. Stop. Yeah. For me, it's incredibly touching because mm. he's saying, okay, this has been going on. Yeah. I guess the tempo is constant all the way through. Yeah. And then oh, let's just enjoy the final let's few seconds. Let's just hang out,
1: yeah. I think it's great. And he's a dramatist. I mean, he, he, you know, that's what he's great at. Like, it's not about the process, it's about the, it's about the, the move. Yeah. The movement, sorry, the move. <laughs>
2: <It's>
0: like... <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about movement, and in fact, I'm sure we're going to find some similarities here. I've chosen a piece of Balinese Gamelan. This is a group called STSI Denpasar, and the piece, which I actually know really, really well, because I performed it myself, is called Puspanjali. That was Puspanjali, a piece of Balinese gamelan. More specifically, it's a style of gamelan called Gongkebya, and I had the great pleasure of studying it for three years while I was studying at Dartington College of Arts. I've chosen this piece for so many reasons. Something that really marked me by performing Gamelan was this technique called Kotakan which is interlocking, where you play half a melody effectively. It enables the resultant pattern to be incredibly fast. So, and great apologies to anyone Balinese, but we had our own mnemonics to remember these patterns, and one of them for the third movement of this piece goes, Come namazinga, funky little song, it's funky, bad it's rather hard to take cheddar, alone in the bed, to take cheddar, alone, you know, I think silly thoughts, I think silly thoughts. I think silly thoughts every day, you know. I think silly thoughts and I can't get to sleep. We're to Cheddar alone in the bed. And then there's another part, which I won't sing for you, which interlocks with that. And the resultant tune is... And it's so fast. It is so fast. I mean, we didn't manage to get it that fast. We were just some people, mainly English people, trying to do Balinese gamelan. <laughs> um it was fun. But this idea of sharing a melody to connect with someone else, and often you can't really hear the resultant melody because you're just focused on what you're playing, but then the listener goes, Where's that tune coming from? Right. It's, it's so beautiful. And to achieve something that's faster than anyone human can play. That's one of the things I love about Gamelan. I could speak for many hours about other things. But I know you have quite a connection with Balinese Gamelan as well, mm. haven't you? And it's inspired you.
1: I mean, it's just, as you say, it's, there's so many amazing and complicated things going on. You know, it's, you, you studied it far more intensively than I have. And I have a sort of layman's interest in it. But really what it is for me is just, what are all the things we can do... Energetically, within this one scale in which we find ourselves, so there's not a lot of I wouldn't I don't want to say not a lot of melodic possibilities, but it's lim, it's limited by mm. design. I mean, yeah. there's, a, there's a certain number of notes, and so what you end up with is you you find yourself teasing out interest. With other things, so as you say, it's, it's the interlocking patterns. It's sudden changes of speed. It's sudden changes of timbre. It's, as you can hear on, the, on this recording, you know, enormous variations on, you know, you do the same thing, speeding up, the same thing, slowing down, the same thing, really steady, the same thing, very very hard, and so it it, it basically undoes for Westerners, for, you know, for for it sort of undoes you know the sort of romantic notion of how music is meant to go right in in terms of you know you start with a thing and then you develop it and then it turns into some climaxes and then it kind of fades off you know whatever mm. um, so it's, it's great because it feels like a whole different economy a whole different ecosystem yeah. um, of what
0: defines kind of interesting music it, it's fascinating i would never actually thought of gamelan that way i guess because when you step into the room for the first time you just look at the instruments and say well these are the notes and these are the tunes and mm. you learn the tunes and you don't ever really question of course with your western hat on you say oh you've only got i think the notes are called one two three five six they just drop note four at some point right. in, the, in their history but they still call it one two three five it's six. wandering around somewhere right it's, it's, it's like, lost somewhere probably hopped over to java or something but i hadn't thought of it in those terms and that's fascinating because I love the idea of limits and of course anyone who's creative must understand that the more you limit the more creative you have to be in more yeah,
1: you have to right
0: exactly we didn't get to a level us students of being able to play with the dynamics as much as this we had loud and quiet and the drummer would just suddenly kind of do a little fill and we'd all get louder but this is really dynamic mm. suddenly Bits of the melody suddenly leap out and go back in again. And that's interesting. Again, that's something we don't really do very much. You don't suddenly have a melody and then five of those notes are loud and the others are not. So it's really rethinking, like you say, they're very fundamentals, the foundations of of how the music is put together and and how it's performed.
1: Right. So what that what to me is is so thrilling. And also I think it's really teamwork is a thing that's really important to me in music making. When you work with an orchestra or whatever, you get the sort of I would say you get like a simulation of teamwork, but it's not the same as making chamber music, which is essentially what this is. It's large chamber music, but it's sort of unconducted thing, and what it requires to listen largely, do you know what I mean? And not you're not relying on a conductor to show you where you are. You can only get it if everyone else is doing it with you. Yeah. There's, right, one person can't be awesome at it. The yeah. team has to be awesome. And I, I feel like when, I, when I'm writing for my friends, that's kind of what I try to do. right. It's like stuff that we can do only together. Yeah. that feels like a really important like social and musical gesture
0: yeah okay let's move on to your second choice what have you picked
1: I have picked um, Work That by Mary J. Blige well, of course you have <laughs> and I feel like I just love that there's a harpsichord in it I love that I have I do not in any way understand the footprint of the beat it's like everything's a little behind or in front it feels very unquantized it feels really satisfying to me in that way and there's just something wild about the combination of sounds and I think it's a good good song <laughs> let's have a listen read
2: the book just because the length of your hair ain't long And they often criticize you for your skin tone Gonna hold your head high cause you a pretty woman Get your runway stride home and keep it going Girl, live your life I just wanna be myself yeah, yeah. Don't smoke, girl, be yourself Follow me, follow me, follow me Girl, be yourself That's why I be myself And I'm gonna love it. Be right. gonna i it Let them get mad They gon' hate anyway, don't you get that? Doesn't matter if you're going on with their plan.
0: Okay, so we're just kind of smiling a little bit because there's a lyric in there. I'm, I'm talking about things that I know.
1: It's the best lyric ever,
0: right? It's, when that's not true, the best lyric ever is in a live uh, performance of Fantasia Barino. Do you mm. know her? Oh, do I know? She's amazing. She is amazing. And at one point she says, this is my favorite verse right here. Just the <laughs> way I can't do the accent. But it's like, this is my favorite verse right here. Okay. <laughs> no, <I don't> know. <laughs>
1: That's great. That is that is excellent.
0: I, th- I, th- I think we should frame our music more. Yeah, yeah. This is my favorite bridge right here, and then it just yeah, comes that's in.
1: That's right. You know, it's funny actually. In this ballet I'm doing right now, there's a part that I call favorite part, and, and now everyone else has started calling it favorite part. They're like, oh, let's go from favorite part. I'm like, it's favorite part. <laughs> it's like, I mean, it's of the dance. so It's not of something I wrote, but it's, okay. you know, the, it's my favorite part of the dance. Whatever. That's what it's called.
0: Amazing. Love it. Um, I mean, where to start with Mary? But let's focus on this track maybe in particular. Let's, yeah. It's, yeah. There's too
1: much other information it's, if we.
0: I have something I want to say about Mary, but let's come to it in a second so yeah this track what What's? what's i
1: just well basically i love how if you if you sort of looked at it in a computer with all the tracks together like what any vertical moment any like downbeat anything nothing is happening there it's always like a little bit disjointed by a microsecond before a microsecond after and again the beat itself like the the actual footprint of the beat feels stuttered there's something funny going on with it um and i love the fact that a harpsichord is at at the heart of it it feels very sort of baroque um I love I think the vocal take is a good one. I mean I think I, I, there's something really satisfying about it. I love the just the intervalic content like all those fourths going back and forth it, it feels like it sounds like a weird combination of you know R B and like the weird Siamese song from like a lady and the tramp. Like there's something going on with it. I love it. It's totally weird.
0: Yeah. It is weird. Uh, and you're right, if you break down the session and look at what's going on, anyone who was trying to be an aspiring producer or sound technician would go, Oh, those piano loops were a bit out of time. Yeah. You know, and you would want to fix it, you would want to quantize it. And the the joy of this kind of music is that it's super creative, it's not in time, and they do it deliberately. And yeah. it's always it's always late. Those piano stuff is always late. Yeah. I've become aware of this when I'm editing vocals in particular. If something's late, you can get away with it. It just sounds R and B-ish. If it's early, it nearly always sounds awful. Yeah. Like Agreed. awful.
1: No totally. And I think but what's interesting about it is that it's it's behind, but it's also fast. I would say this is a fast yeah. track. So it's got the sense of urgency and I don't want to say relaxation, but it's like it's a kind of luscious urgency. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The, and I'm talking about things that I know is just so satisfying. Yeah. But it's interesting, too, because it's like, it it reconnects to, you know, why we're writing the song in the first place. Why are we listening to this? It's not like, these are things that are theoretical. It's not just like, a, a song that was written by, you know, four, mm. like, Swedish women and faxed to her apartment. Yeah. It's like, this is my reality at this time. Yeah. Which may or may not be true, by the way. But one gets the sense that, in this case, it it probably is. Well,
0: this links absolutely into what I wanted to say about Mary, which is that, I mean, I'm a fan who isn't. But and that should not be a but that should be an and (laughs) I'm a fan and she often sings horribly out of tune and it's amazing because she's singing so deep it's so painful that she just lets rip and the amount of times I've seen her on TV shows giving her vocal and I'm Part of my brain is saying, oh, she's really not in a scale here. And of course it doesn't matter. It does not matter yeah. at all. She's singing from such a deep, painful place. She's made her whole career out of the pain. This album is called, what, Growing Pains, I think? Yeah. If you look at her album titles, it's, no, it's like, I'm it's better like... now. I'm not feeling too good. Oh, I'm <laughs> yeah. back to the shrink. Like, it's just, <laughs> exactly. my family fell apart. Like, it's just, you know, her life.
1: No, it's amazing. And uh, again, that this is a thing that's really fun, is that a lot of the best music for me has not been subject to the kind of Airbrushing and waxing and pruning and eyebrow plucking that kind of we've come to expect in a sense of, of music that's made in the studio whereas that everything is like hyper clean and hyper organized and, and that if there's grit on it it's added in post and you know what I mean and I think mm. I think what's great about a lot of R&B especially that which comes out of the 90s is that no one was doing that stuff so you end up with these kind of crazy raw yeah. things and you think well, I, you would never get that out of the studio yeah. now ever and that's our loss I think yeah. you know. and I feel like the way that that vocal recorded versus the way that R&B vocals now are recorded. I'm like, I don't know. It feels really clean.
0: I'm pretty sure that if Beyonce wasn't there to check, they would auto-tune her. And I've heard from interviews that she checks. She stays around to make sure that she's not being tuned. For the vocal comping and she edits every single note herself with the producers to say this and 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 you hear that i mean you really hear that because sometimes she does impros that are again way off the scale not so much out of tune but just exploring notes you shouldn't really be at and if you were to auto-tune it it would auto-tune to a, an appropriate note which right. is obviously not what she was trying to do or not what she came up with in the moment in when the moment, she was right. just it's usually yeah,
1: the, the moment is, a, is an interesting thing because it's like as you know from working in the studio there is a studio moment you know for, for me and what I do spontaneity is, is so delicious when it happens because it's so much of what I do is like literally sitting dealing with a piece of paper for nine months and then you have three rehearsals and then it's on a stage so little spontaneous things feel so exciting because mm. everything else has been so micromanaged yeah yeah um so so anyway so when, when i i'm always just so delighted when i hear you know an out of time thing or something that feels like it was just allowed to be yeah
0: <laughs> i try my best uh to capture that and to keep it and i detest when singers say oh yeah you know i really love that vocal and it's amazing and everyone loves it but I know I can do better, and I'm just thinking. I know you can't because that moment, particularly if yeah. it was the first take, you are never going to get never. No, better never than that. Better. And like you say, you can add grit in the mix, you can add special effects, and people say, "Oh, yeah, I'm really looking for this kind of sound in the vocal." No, you're not. No. You're looking for your vocal to sound interesting and for it to come from the heart. And that probably was the first take, or at least the take when you were the most surprised, yeah, or yeah, the yeah. most weirded out, or the most confused.
1: Right, thinking about it too much. Yeah, you don't want to think about it too much. Yeah. There are things that you want to think about a lot, and there are other things that you don't want to think about too much. Well, that's
0: absolutely set us up for my next choice. As you can imagine, I've agonized a little bit about what to play you because we could sit here for about 15 hours talking about music, about everything on my computer. So I just thought, let's keep it simple. Let's go to my favorite album of all time, and probably, at least today, my favorite track from my favorite album of all time. (laughs) You've kept this.
1: uh, This is some nursery food for you.
0: This is Kate Bush with Suspended in
2: Gaffer.
0: with Suspended in Gaffer. Now, what I'm not going to talk about here is the concert that I saw recently because too much to say and I will start crying. So let's just talk about this particular piece. Do you know this track?
1: I do, yeah, I, I do. It's, although it's funny, the minute you saw I saw that you had chosen it, I was like, that is the most... You thing ever? It's totally you, right? It does everything that it's like your whole. Continue. <laughs> no, it'd be, well, it's got all of your perversions, right? So it's got things that are meant to sound like one thing, but are clearly made out of another thing. It's got. Oh, I like
0: that. I think <laughs> that's that's going on my website. He's a producer, beatboxer, and he makes one thing that's meant to sound like something, but it's actually made for something else. Yeah,
1: exactly. But it's also it's got natural vocal technique and unnatural vocal. He's got natural vocal recording, unnatural vocal recording. It is. It's stylistically kind of pastiche where it's like, I don't think she really believes in that waltz as an idea, but it's a structure on which she can hang a lot of other bullshit, which is also like totally, totally you. It's got an element of like Brian Wilson, like Esquivel, like carnival-esque, like Mexican soap opera to it um it has like vintage synthesizers i mean these are all things that you're that you're obsessed
0: with right so it's yeah like, I, i'm not correcting you you, <laughs> you might notice i think what i love in particular i mean you can say this about virtually all kate bush ever but particularly this track and that's probably why it's one of my favorites is that it's quite humorous. Um, like you say, it doesn't feel like any kind of serious waltz. It feels a little like a pastiche, but there are those quiet moments before the chorus. If it is a chorus that are very evocative and very beautiful with these haunting little voices. There's, it's like a child whispering Mm. at one point, you can't really make out what they're saying, but I I say they, it's surely Kate Bush. You can't really make out what she's saying. But at one point she says, I'm scared of the changes. And you're like, Oh God, (laughs) what what am I eavesdropping on here? Um, her vocals are just unbelievable and i mean a lot of people look to the following album the Hounds of love as the masterpiece i'm not going to disagree but this album was when she started producing herself mm-hmm. and she just let rip and i love the moment that an artist says hey i've had three hit albums i'm going to do my new album but i'm just going to kind of you know keep going and keep experimenting and then they find themselves with this absolute like monstrosity so wildly creative i actually bought this in the days where we used to buy cds for a singer friend of mine and she sent me a text later that evening to say thank you, I will never listen to music in the same way again. Oh, good,
1: right. I mean, it's, it's, going back to what you were saying, she let rip, yes, but it's also, this is not her, like, sitting alone in a room. This is a plan, right? You can't make a track like that without a plan. Even though it feels wacky and improvised and, like, carnival and, like, what'll happen next? Like, someone figured it out, and it was probably her. And there, I mean, it was definitely her. You can't get away with it if you don't have a kind of itinerary of what you're going to do, or at least if you don't have a kind of really good sense of what's what's in the toolbox. And so this is what's amazing to me about it. Um, and I have to say, just if we're going to be honest with each other here, I find this track, and I find this this album is, has more like historical interest to me than like listen for pleasure. Like funny waltz is like my least favorite genre of music, like at all, because I'm like, Why? Just for me. Like, that's fine. In the same way where it's like, I don't know why we're having, like, funny salsa music now. But what's amazing about this is that it's virtuosic, not just as a vocal performance or as a piece of composition, but as a piece of studio work. It's virtuosic on, like, 18 different levels, Mm -hmm. which is why I find it borderline unlistenable, because it's so brilliant that it's like, I'm like, I would rather listen to this, like, as an art peace, like, and sit in a room and, like, have that be, like, four minutes of my life that I've dedicated to this. Like, if this comes up on shuffle, I'm like, oh, hell no, and, like, (laughs) dive across them, you know what I mean? It's like, you don't want to play it, like...
0: I do, and I have that uh, with a lot of my favourite artists, actually. I mean, I don't listen to Björk that often, because it's so intense, and it's so, like you say, it's virtuosic, and and it demands your attention, and it is art. And actually... I'm really fascinated by it when music is functional. I listen to a lot of Brian Eno, but mainly just because I want to just chill out and just, you know, the ambient stuff. Right. And it's just beautiful sounds and it's really pleasant. There's something about music as function. And this is... Art. This is very clearly music that is art, and you're right. It, it necessitates you in a certain state, and you have to give it your full attention.
1: You have to give it your full attention. And it. And it, I listen. I listen to a lot of music. It's not meant to be background music as background music because you know that's all I do is I think about music all day. A good example is like this morning. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to listen to Billie Holiday. Like whatever. You know, which isn't to say those aren't virtuosic vocal performances because God knows they are. But it's also within a kind of I don't want to say interpersonal space, but it's like this is a crazy person at the supermarket knocking things off the shelf. Do you know what I mean? Like, with with K-Bush, you always get the sense of you just don't know what's going to happen next. You know what I mean? And it always feels like the situation could escalate.
0: Mm. (laughs) it's true and for that you need to be on your on your guard yeah exactly um and that's also why i can't talk about her live performance because imagine three hours of it in a room with the woman okay let's move on because i i i I can't even go there okay (laughs) let's move on to the track that you've chosen that you've written yourself so what is this
1: um this is one of a sequence of viola and electronics etudes i wrote for my friend nadia and this is number one (laughs) a
0: So that was Nico with Nadia Surota and Etude <laughs>
2: Ah
0: <laughs> Ah. Yeah, exactly. I feel like it needs to be in French. Uh, tell me a little bit about this piece
1: um, so I've been writing music for Nadia for a long 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 time and I realized or she and I realized together that a lot of it is hard for really specific reasons and just technically hard um, and one of the reasons it's hard is because I use a lot of fifths which on string instruments are not welcome because of the way that they're constructed and she was like well why don't you just write a bunch of things that are designed to help people learn how to do it like etudes you know like just technical studies and I was like great coming right up so basically I've been writing these and now I'm up to number four B so there's you know they're you they're usually in not pairs or things like pairs. They, they kind of answer to each other. So this one, you know, the rules are it's all this kind of fifth-based stuff, and there are these weird holes in it, and it's lightly swung, like the MIDI is lightly swung, so you get this kind of artificial effect, um, sort of like the marriage oblige, actually, where it's like something's off about it, and it's like the opposite of soulfully constructed. And it's just hard and fun, and um, it's a conversation between me and Nadia, but it's also designed to be something that, you know, we're doing ourselves and people can, you know, give us 99 cents
0: to listen to it mm. it's really interesting this idea of uh, an etude i'm mm. trying to think of an equivalent in pop music i'm trying to think if anybody does tracks on their album just to test their, I suppose in a way, that's what Kate Bush's The Dreaming was. She wanted to become a producer, to produce her own stuff. And so she really went for it. She went right. crazy. Like, I'm going to produce this, and it's going to be like this, and then we're going to have these voices and that and this, and then we're going to use the fair light, and I'm going to sample brass and, right. you
1: know. Well, I feel like a, sometimes a demo can be like that, you know, before you know what you're doing. And I think, you know, it's interesting when, when artists have, like, five or six versions of a single song, or they'll have five or six different producers. And then, of course, you know, you, you release it, you know twenty years after you die, mm. but it, you know the, it's the the idea is that you develop your technique on it right so, so the sort of kate bush is the is the right example, but I think you can also sort of you can retroactively think about you know someone's first album is sort of a study that turns into the second album. Mm. It's a continuation, but it's also like, can I do this? Is this technically possible?
0: yeah. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. I, I like this idea. Maybe I'll write an etude. For
1: I think you should. Well, I mean, it's similarly like a lot of what... Classically, the difference is an etude is a technical obsession, right? And a prelude is a harmonic or musical obsession. I think a lot of what you do actually is te- like etudes, where it's like, it's like, here are the rules of this piece. Mm-hmm. And they tend to be, you know, there's like five or six of them, that they tend
0: to be kind of rhythmic or... Right. very often they're to do with the instruments that are chosen and exactly. then you have to coming back to like we said before when you limit when you limit the palace and then yeah. you have to find a way to be creative and it's just
1: basically it's just a way of like targeting a specific muscle group really right where you say and at the end of it the idea is that the player and also the mind is better at that thing and I, I imagine I mean it's what you were talking about before it's like teaching a complicated rhythm it's complicated and it's hard. And then once you've learned it, it's inside your body forever, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, you, the fact that you can still recite that that um, mnemonic for the for the gallon yeah. is a good. You know, I'm, I'm sure you do it, you know, privately when no one's here. But it's, a, <laughs> you know, that was maybe 15 years ago, right? It yeah. yeah. A, so those things. Are hard earned.
0: Yes, and there's something incredibly pleasurable about it because you know when you try and learn a new language and then you've understood a sentence that someone has said to you, it's the most pleasurable thing in the world. Because I've been studying and now it's paying off.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah, and so an issue for me. What's fun about them is that they do reward in that way. Mm. And then of course it's like you know now knowing that she can do this, then I feel like completely comfortable asking for things like that in the concerto I wrote for her last year, for instance. So
0: this is really about an ongoing relationship with a performer.
1: Right, exactly. But it's also about for me like the viola is the of unloved um, stepsister of the string instruments and it's like I love writing for it because you know it's it's the forgotten cut of lamb or whatever you know it's the weird it's the uh, underdog it's the weird (laughs) anglais of the you know and you know I wish more people would do this and kind of write hard bassoon music or whatever it Mm. is you know um, yeah
0: I have a similar uh, thing with juice vocal ensemble a group that I've worked with many times they're soprano soprano alto Mm. and this nothing i mean there's almost nothing for soprano soprano alto so they end up having to write things themselves and it's true that actually now i think about it the stuff i've done with them has been incredibly challenging in fact i come up with stuff that's sometimes so challenging they almost can't do it but they get there you know and we can always readapt if we need to but that's because of a lack of repertoire so right and i
1: think in the lack of repertoire it's a good reason to Expand. I mean, I think it's almost like that thing where it, it, if you have a lot of rental apartments and it's, like, the first night you're there and you're exhausted, you're like, okay, what dinner can I make out of half an onion, a thing of mustard, you know, whatever that is, like, you know, some celery from, like, you know, the, the dawn of time. You know, you figure it out and you, you sort of se débrouille, you know what I mean? And... In a lot of cases, you know, writing for sort of forlorn instruments feels like that, where you're like, okay, like, there's not much precedent for, you yeah. know, there's like three or four viola concertos. So you're like, all right, and then we get to make this up. We get to improvise yeah. in slow motion. Yeah. And that's really fun. And that, there's such a delight to doing that. It. such a delight to do it with Nadia, who's someone I've known for a really long time. Yeah. There's something kind of magical about that. Yeah. Um, and deepening the, deepening the relationship through technique.
0: Yeah. Well, again, I think we're flowing on to the final track for the podcast, My Choice. This is a track I created. I have this. You have this album. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So this is my project, The North Project. It's Nordic Folk Tunes rewritten with new looks in English. This is a Norwegian one called Ingen Frem Tilden Erviger Uh My version is about pine forests. It's called Pines. And it is with the fantastic English folk vocalist Sam Lee.
3: In the valley's glen, here we evergreens grow Some say this vale keeps us stronger Shielded from my roots, seasons come, seasons go, who live from soul meets no hunger, pattern calls of string conveyed in raven's mouth, dark cones from the north will open when we're south, sheltered we fall tween where frail mud has cracked, under this dim flickering winter time it's hundreds to go of this by needles they plunder treading ancient ground here they stand at our feet purging our bristles asunder inky veins they gouge our oil to extract dark some drink they swill our fragrant resin sapped hard bark will cease till the door From soul meets no hunger under this dim flickering winter.
0: So that was Sam Lee with the North Project and Pines. So it's really interesting to listen to that with you now, following the discussion we just had, because I'm realising loads of things. I'm (laughs) realising that one of the reasons that I impose limits on myself. So this was vocal, right? This is all vocal. Obviously, the beats have been heavily manipulated, but it's not me beatboxing. It's Sam beatboxing. Mm. I decided that all the guests were going to do their own beatbox. But... What's interesting when we talk about an étude is the idea that you come out of it at the end as a better player, and in this case as a better singer, mm-hmm. and I, I would never claim to have transformed these amazing artists into something better, but they've come out with something that they wouldn't normally do. Right. Right. Almost none of them beatbox. So they have a track on which they are beatboxing. And that's really pleasurable, not only for me as a facilitator of them doing some beatbox, but also for them.
1: Well, right, you're you're expanding the toolbox. It's the same thing where it's like the first time you cook a whole fish, and you're like, oh, that's not that scary. Because you think it's like this whole terrifying thing and actually it just takes the, either someone to tell you to do it or a, a situation of necessity where you're like, oh, yeah, this is totally fine. Yeah. You develop a fluency. Again, not that these people are going to start beatboxing all over the place, but it, it must have been so great for them to have been taken out of their comfort zone. They were sort of led down a path that they wouldn't yeah. have found before.
0: Uh, I remember an outtake when I was editing of one of the singers, who will remain nameless, who was beatboxing away. <laughs> and I just had this lovely little quote where she just popped in and goes, oh, this is really hard but it's fun (laughs) (laughs) I I very nearly used that in the track but I thought I mean that's uh, yeah off message Hard but fun, that's how most music should be, I think. I think so, too. I just don't want to get bored. I really, very often, I'm just like, yeah, I've kind of done that. Like, I just need to keep moving. That's actually why I chose a more recent track, because, you know, I could have played something from Kemi's records. Mm. You were there when we were mixing uh, an album with uh, Valga Siglson in Iceland. I thought, oh, that would be a nice trip down memory lane. Or the remix I did for you of your track, Wonders. And I thought, we've kind of been there and done that. Well, it's interesting. I mean, one of the weird things about
1: recording, one of the weird things about what I do in classical music, is that you know whatever you do sticks around, so you don't have to keep on doing it. Um, this age, is six years old or whatever, and I don't think about it. I don't play it. It's not mm. you know it's not part of my universe in that sense. And yet you know, you'll get a phone call. It's like some random violist in Finland is doing it, and like someone's teaching it in a class in Santa Cruz. You know, and so these things live on. And in a sense, you know, each project that you do can be, if you'd like. That can be all she wrote about it. I mean, I think with your work with Camille, I mean, I think all the things that you've done, they're the best example of that thing, right? And so you don't
0: need to be like, oh, I'll just do that same process again mm. to, some, to different material, yeah. right? But it's very difficult because, you know, there's a kind of lazy voice in your head saying, oh, well, that was pleasurable yeah, and just, it worked. Right. So let's do something similar. And I've tried really hard, although I continue to work with the voice, I try really hard to just always oh, have something a little bit different. Right. My latest thing is that I'm really trying to mix it with electronics as well, but electronic voices that I've sampled on this, Obviously, you can hear the bass line is a a sampled voice. It's just me going, and then I've just turned that, you know, into a kind of EXS instrument in Logic that I can play. There's Gaggle, the punk choir that I've sampled. They're the ones doing the, they don't know it, but they're the ones singing the, the harmonies here because I've made a whole instrument of their voice. It's
1: right. I mean, I think those things you know, it's great if they come from external prompts. But it's also great if you set up a structure to constantly challenge your own self. And this is something that I'm working on now because I've been on i I I've been on a roll by which I mainly mean I haven't had a minute to stop and be like What's going on? What have I done? And what do I don't feel like I don't need to do again? And what do I feel like requires further exploration? And what you know what I mean? The, all these things are really interesting, and, and they're not things that we think about too actively because we're busy. Yeah, but what's interesting in this project of yours, the the, the North project, is so again so you right? It's kind of like Scando obsessed and and um, you know multilingual. Um, and it's about saying something without actually saying it. And it's got, you know, it's got a lot of, I would call it your distancing tactics.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it was called by Brecht, wasn't it, I think?
1: Well, it's, it's, a, it's a kind of oblique way to make a statement, which is saying the, the process is the, is the statement. Anyway, and, and interestingly, what might be fun for you, now that we're having this conversation, is for someone to randomly kick your ass and drop you in South America for a week and be like, just do this. You know, like, arbitrary restrictions are the best. Like, if you're like, I'm going to make this whole thing, you know, in this room, or I'm going to make this whole thing in a week, or I'm going to make you know what, whatever that is. Yeah. Feels really fun because if you bring it on yourself, it feels like you're more in control of it than when it's coming, coming externally. Yeah. When it's like, this deadline means you have to do this, or like this, you know, this money means you can't exactly. do this.
0: Or all th- those young producers who are kind of uh, dreaming of getting a synthesizer, you know, getting get the next plug-in. Right. Like, when I get that plug-in, I'll be able to do everything I want. Right. And they don't have the joy of seeing how wonderful it is not to have that plug and to right. have to do interesting stuff with and, your voice. And
1: which goes back a little bit with, with cooking too, where it's like, for me, like, you know, it's great to have like a batteria cuisine and it's amazing and all these knives and whatever, but it's also amazing to like you know, crush garlic with, like, the back of a pot and, you know, like, chop it with a butter knife. Like, you find yourself in these unexpectedly virtuosic situations. Yeah. Um, not because you have this, like, shining stainless steel environment, but mm. because you have nothing.
0: Yeah. I think for me as a producer, and particularly when I do collaborative projects like this, it's also about the person, because I didn't really know Sam, mm. you know? We, we just met briefly, and right. I was like, do you want to be involved? Like, sure, come to my house and we'll do it. I. Did, sent him a demo, we sang right. it, you know and so it's this kind of, you have to very quickly get to know the person and that's really interesting, because mm-hmm. that is a constraint, and you know that right. you have to leave with I know I have to leave with what I need in order to produce the track, so that's why collaborations are eternally stimulating for me It's
1: that's also, with, cool. with the collaboration, especially the, the producer-artist dynamic it's always a question of who's in control I mean this is I mean that's a much larger philosophical conversation but it's like in, in my world it's composer performer that's the relationship and again the question of control is a complicated one because of course you know all I did was print out a pile of paper basically and in, in the case of producer songwriter artist those roles get really blurred mm-hmm. and it's difficult I imagine to you know you have to create this little economy where everyone feels autonomous but actually at the end of the day everything ends up on your hard drive and you have to deal with it if you're mixing it Yeah. you know question Mark. I mean it's there, there are all these things that get really tricksy with that stuff I mean it's and, and yeah. I mean something I think that you've you know over over your career are exploring in different ways but you know with a track like this it's like who is in control
2: hmm.
1: the zero way it would work without him right but yeah. there's zero way to exist without you yeah so there's so much of it is like it's a it's a it's a mystery how the collaboration works. It. it should it should be right.
0: Yes, I think the only downside of that is that then you do have the issue of what happens with it because right. it's on my album, so I have the responsibility of releasing it and promoting it. But it's someone else singing it, so you know you right. do have the issues that follow up from the fact that it isn't right. owned by someone and no one has specific responsibility for it.
1: It's really. that is the, oh I mean, that's the, that's the eternal question. It's like whose work is it versus whose work was it. You know, how do you gauge work, right? Is it the number of hours? That's one way of think. Is it, is it the loudness at which the thing is mixed in the mix? It's interesting. I've, I've done a couple of albums where there's been multiple arrangers on single tracks, and it's like, you know, I'll get a credit, and I'm like, I don't hear what I did at all, which is fine. You know, happy, whatever. Or the opposite will happen, where it's like, uh, a really interesting thing happened to me a couple years ago where... I did a bunch of arrangements for this kind of band poppy thing, and one of the arrangements was this kind of very subtle string thing that happened in the background of this kind of ballad thing. And the album came out, and there were these two little interstice tracks that were just the string arrangements. And I was like, wait, Hmm. Really? You know and then you think well you know I'm touched but it's like it's interesting cuz it, do you build this thing on top of something they take the other thing away and just use yeah. your work yeah. that's that's an odd move Then again you think like okay I wouldn't have made that yeah. without the structure that they made yeah. but but then as you say it gets complicated you're like you're like who gets the publishing on that yeah. bitch like it's like you know, which is not an, it's not a cute conversation but it's a conversation that needs to
0: be yeah had. it's very tricky when you're top lining when you're writing a melody and lyrics on someone else's backing track right. and then the backing track goes away with yeah. that line have existed if you hadn't have written on that backing track it's it's that's it's, for it's lawyers really it is,
1: well it is for lawyers and, I, and that's why i mean you must have been as obsessed as i was with, with the vanilla ice um david bowie lawsuit which is the most fascinating thing in the world they had a swiss musicologist on the stand i mean that was an amazing trial yeah. anyway i think about that like eight times
0: a day <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, unless this podcast is going to last for two hours, I think we need to wrap it up. So just before we do, what are you working on right now? Well, I'm in Paris. I've got a ballet. And then
1: I'm writing a piece for the Utah Symphony Orchestra. And then I've got a bunch of chamber music that's happening at the Wigmore Hall in London. And then I'm going to pass out. Okay. <laughs>
0: well, don't pass out before you've delivered that music. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, that's going to happen. That's going to happen soon.
0: That's <laughs> Great. As ever, if you'd like to get in touch, you can just send me an email at podcastatmagica.com or just follow me on Twitter at magica if you'd like to find out more about this podcast you can just go to magica.com forward slash podcast you're going to find show notes and all the links you need to buy the music listen to the music stream it do whatever you want to do right we're going to end with a vocal impro as we always do Nico's, i haven't never heard you sing so I won't i'm not ask, going to be singing <laughs> i will not ask you to sing but i think you do a pretty good impression of uh bird of prey <laughs> You, you kind of need the, the facial expression as well at the same time, dear listener. You're going to have to picture the face. I have the face, but this is Nico making a bird of prey face. Okay, so what's my beatbox going to be inspired by? What have we got? We've got Gamelan. Oh, I'll do some Kotokan.
1: Go, go, well. go, start. I,
0: I, I, go! I'm just going to kind of be a uh, antagonist. Perfect. <laughs> That's bum zum those do I own this? Yes,
1: that's yours. This
0: is mine. I own this impro.
1: Yeah, take it, take it, sell it to sell it to Sprite. <laughs> <laughs>